in my job interview here, they're like, well, why are you here? And I said, you know, I, from the moment I picked up a club, all I ever wanted to do was when I walked away from the game or, you know, when my time on earth was done, I wanted them to look back at me and say, that guy made a difference. And I couldn't really do it with my clubs. I may have done it for like five to seven seconds. Let's just say I made a difference in the game. But I feel like being inside this building with these people, I can actually make a difference in the game. In 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leaf, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leaf Links. The winner of the competition was declared Captain of the Golf for the Year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. As Colin and my part was recorded a couple days ago, I've got to give a huge shout out to the United States Walker Cup team. They totally dominated the Sunday matches in both the foursomes and the singles matches, capturing 10.5 to 3.5 points over the GB&I team. Final score, 15.5 for the United States, 10.5 for Great Britain and Ireland. Huge congrats to the United States team and Captain Nathaniel Crosby for bringing the Walker Cup back home. All right, Colin, we are back with part two of the Jason Gore from the USJ podcast. Let's briefly talk about Walker Cup a little bit, just a little bit more, and and I was fortunate enough to play with Jason in that 1997 Walker Cup at Quaker Ridge. And tell me about what it's like to do the overseas trip. I'm I'm imagining these sort of 18, 19, 20 year old kids from the south, maybe never left the country. What is it like to go over there and enjoy the uh, pomp and circumstance of British Walker Cup golf culture? Yeah. So 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 after the 97 one, uh, I was fortunate enough to make the 99 team as well, and went over to Nairn in northern Scotland, and we had an awesome trip over there. And yeah, what, what these guys are really looking at is, number one, they're going to fly first class over to uh, Royal Liverpool this year. Uh, USGA takes very good care of the Walker Cup teams. They're going to they're going to fly first class. They're going to stay in a, a wonderful spot. They're going to they're going to eat like kings, and and it's it's a it's a really cool time. But yeah, the, the golf over there is. Is just is different, uh, and and for all of our listeners out there who have been overseas and played, you know the link style golf courses of Scotland and England. It's uh, the golf over there is just really special. You really feel connected to the the history of the game, and uh, but yeah, they're they're going to have a, a an experience they're never going to forget. And for many of them, this will be their one and only shot to play the Walker Cup team because many of them are turning pro right after. Guys like Akshay Bhatia and Brandon Wu and guys like Andy Ogletree actually has his senior year to finish up at Georgia Tech, although he won't be there much with all of the majors that he'll be in as the U.S. Amateur champ. But yeah, the, the, the guys have a really cool experience awaiting them uh, for sure. So that's that's going to be really special. Hopefully the USA team can get a W over there. But uh, speaking about Ws, we have to give a shout out to a couple USGA champions that just were victorious. Uh, it was played at old. The senior am was played at Old Chatham Country Club in in uh, right near Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, big congrats out to Bob Royak for capturing the title there. And uh, and we had a, on the ladies' side, the ladies' senior am, the women's senior am. We had 
the uh, we had a back-to-back champion in Lara Tennant. She won at Cedar Rapids Country Club in Iowa. To win one USGA championship is pretty sp- spectacular, but to get back-to-back is just uh, is just uh, a pretty amazing feat, really. Really, really astonishing to to sort of make it back, qualify, run the tables in the match play draw. Uh, that's a champion. That's that's next. That's uh, you elevate into an, an entirely different echelon at that point. <laughs> tell us about your tell us about your opportunity uh, to be a, a caddy this week, this past week, <laughs> in another in a different competition. Uh, yeah. Talk about uh, paying it paying paying it back. Paying it back for sure. Well, I I, I will be a, a lifetime of paying it back to my to my wife Christy. As as many people know, she was on my bag in the 1996 U.S. Amateur and a few of the majors that I was fortunate enough to play in in the U.S. Open and the Masters. And uh, we've been married over 20 years now and two wonderful children. And and uh, anyway, she had her the LPGA National Championship recently played at Pinehurst Number Eight, and I got to don the caddy bib. Uh, for for a few days and uh, down there at Pinehurst and greens are really fast. Pinehurst number eight, the, those green complexes are are just that. They are complex. They are certainly not number two, but they they uh, they have a lot of fall offs. Greens were at least twelve on the stamp. It was it was a it's a challenging layout, but uh, you know to get in there and to help help my wife, uh, you know, go around the golf course and to to pay it back. I guess right for. You know the the hundreds, if not thousands, of holes that she's caddied for me. I, uh, I, I I'm definitely it's definitely a lopsided thing still, and it probably always will be. But uh, pretty cool to have the shoe on the other foot and and get out there and 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 watch the the top women club professionals and teachers in the game compete and uh, be in the mix. There it was fun. Were you useful? Did you save any strokes? Did you get? Did you get sort of? Did you d- dabble with getting potentially fired? <laughs> you know anything. <laughs> Uh, well, she did leave ask me one, one leave a club behind or anything. One one time, she did ask me what I would do on a specific shot. And says, yeah, and then we decided, no, we're not. We're not that would be uh, that'd be too risky of a you know to thread it through some trees and hit like a thirty yard hook. So uh, no, we're not we're not doing that. We're going to keep it over here and play smart. But uh, yeah, the, the greens were tough. The greens kind of kind of got the best of us both. I mean, it was tough to they were tough to read and and tough to putt, but uh, but certainly fun. You know, Pinehurst, the Pinehurst area, I think, is just, it just oozes golf. And, and you really, you know, kind of like going overseas to Scotland, Pinehurst, you have the village of Pinehurst, you have the cool little little bars. We actually had dinner one night in a restaurant slash bar called the Drum and Quill. It was uh, Bob Drum, the famous sports writer. He had, uh, you know, some, some uh, I guess the, the, the restaurant was built on the fact, you know, of his writings uh about arnold palmer and there was some cool memorabilia in the restaurant and uh it, it's the, the village of pinehurst really is just a it's a special place the usga has a has a uh another headquarters there where they they work out of and uh so it's 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 just a lot of connection to the game in pinehurst it's one of the, it's america's original golfing outposts like think about in the 1890s the tufts family identifying sand hills in rural north carolina inconvenient to totally inconvenient and yet the ideal golf terrain and it spawned a, a sort of you know a, a sort of thousands of acres of of ideal ground ground what it what foresight it was at the time to sort of to identify that ground and and create what is a true mecca for american golf 
there's just nothing like playing golf on a sand-based property. It's just it's just really uh, the golf ball wants to run. And, you know, what Gil Hance has done with Piners Number 4 and the revitalization of that golf course. And you know, it was an interesting concept to use it for that course also for the final, one of the first 18 holes of the final match in that U.S. Amateur that Andy Ogletree defeated John Augustine at. Uh, very interesting uh, that they did that, but it shows the 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 strength of that golf course, and they really believe that it was not a secondary golf course; it was equal on par with with number two. It's an exceptional golf course. I saw Gil the other night and congratulated him on that. I enjoyed watching my players compete. They both missed the cut. I I didn't get a chance to mention that in the first part of our uh, the intro to the first podcast with Jason, but um, I'll tell you the. Uh, the standard of amateur golf is extraordinary. Um, Piners was set up number two was set up more was was more difficult than it was for the most recent U.S. Open because it was later in August. The course was has longer than it was uh, during um, during the most recent U.S. Open there. And and the one thing I have to say is that you know I I do agree that the championship venue should present a sort of in a, you know the the highest standard of difficulty uh and I don't think I've ever seen a course more difficult than number 2 was the scoring average bears that out you know there was it was that golf course is unrelenting in its difficulty it's a tremendous venue i mean the surrounds of those greens are uh, are, are spectacular the the upside down saucers that how they sit and the ball just it repels everywhere it's, it's just it's like it uh the ball just doesn't want to stay on the green there, but a special venue, and you know you have the whole Pinehurst Resort there, and you have the cradle, the par, the little par three course there, and the, the Thistledew Putting Green course, and it really enthuses you to get out there and play golf, and it entices you for sure. Yeah, you know, I will say this: between the uh, the Thistledew and the cradle, and the upgrades to four, and the the upgrades to two, and our boy. Uh, Kyle Franz work at Pine Needles and Mid Pines. In the last sort of five years or so, Pinehurst, the overall area, has seriously upped its game. It's actually never been better. It act it was already a fabulous place to go, and now it's in a it's it's actually in a it's it's as it's as good a destination as anywhere in the world for golf. They've got a tremendous the Pinehurst Brewing Company that they have there, and they they make their own small batch beer, and uh, they, they've really got it right. Ben Bridgers is the director of golf there, and he runs the show, and uh, just a, a tremendous team there to to make it all work. But uh, speaking about tremendous team, let's get to Jason Gore, my teammate in the 1997 Victoria's U.S. Walker Cup team. And we're going to continue to learn a little about Jason and hear his great stories and uh, and really understand where he's going with the USGA now and, and his role more as the Senior Director of Player Relations for the USGA. Okay, but before we get to part two with Jason Gore, I just wanted to say we couldn't host this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society. Our golfing society is growing each and every day, and we're just having a tremendous time meeting people and having them play in our events. We've got some great venues coming up. There's still last-minute room to play in the Great Lakes Challenge at Point of Woods in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And we also have a great one-day event October the 10th at the Old Town Club in Winston-Salem, a 1939 Perry Maxwell gem. Check that out. We'll be playing at Pasa Tiempo also in November. So check out our website at silverclubgolfingsociety.com. 
Remember, you can always see us on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we're on Facebook, too. And I'd also be remiss if I didn't thank our partners of the Silver Club Golfing Society, the Dunhill brand, Club Champion, Blast Motion, Global Golf Post, Torch Eyewear, Links and Kings, and Turtleson. And remember, all the members who play in a Silver Club Golfing Society event this year are eligible to win a trip for two to the 2020 Dunhill Links Championship. It's just that easy. Thanks to our good friends at Dunhill for providing such a great opportunity for our members. If you want to play in some of the country's best courses and hit shots that matter, then the Silver Club Golfing Society is something you need to check out right away. Okay, let's get to part two with Jason Gore from the USGA. Talk a lot about you know the highs and lows in golf, and you said at one point there's you quoted as saying there was a point I wanted to quit golf, but I couldn't even do that right. So so you went <laughs> you went out in and this happened really two times that I saw in your career. 2015 Wyndham Championship, Greensboro, North Carolina, final regular season event of the FedEx Cup, and you went in there knowing that you needed to either win or finish second to keep your card. Explain your mindset going into there when you kind of wanted to quit, but all of a sudden this good play just started to come. I just, I don't know. It was just one of those things. It was like, well, let's go. Let's go have some fun. You know, if this is it, then this is it. Let's go enjoy this because you love the game. And all of a sudden I went and saw David Orr, who's a putting coach. And my coach, Drew Steckel was there and he's just, he just kind of gave me like this little tip and you know, I was, guess I was like transferring weight when I putted and he just said, stay still. <laughs> and I, I putted, I mean, revolutionary, like, <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like groundbreaking stuff here, something dumb. And, and I just went there and I, all of a sudden I, I just felt really good. And, you know, it's just like, you just kind of let your hair down a little bit and just relax and, and enjoy and, and, you know, remember the reasons why you love the game. Yeah, you went out, you, you must have loved the game in the third round. You went out and shot 62 to vault yourself into contention, eventually finishing runner-up to Davis Love, who won at 51 years of age. And uh, my favorite quote of that week for you, this may be my favorite quote of all time. You said you were so nervous in that final round. I quote, I was coughing up fur balls and pooping pellets. <laughs> Uh, Steve, I take no responsibility what comes out of my mouth sometimes. <laughs> that Which, was that, I'm, I'm not perfect. That was that was classic. I probably didn't say pooping though. That probably got edited. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it may have. It may have. It may have. I don't know. Either by me or ASAP Sports, but uh... yeah, probably ASAP. <laughs> and Sports. then and then really then the second time that you kind of wanted to quit and you get back almost in the same boat. It's it's. Uh, Almost a year ago now, November 2018, RSM Classic, you're, you're kind of on your way out of professional golf. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in one shot out of the lead going into the final round at Sea Island. Where did that come from? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I've had like some back issues over the, you know, over like later in my career. And I, I went in and had like this little surgery called like radio frequency ablation, where they basically go in and they burn the nerves in your back because there's really just nothing there except irritation, right? It's just, I, I like to say I had terrible parents, like great people, but bad breeders kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so I went in and had it done and I finally felt decent and, and 
you know, I had no pain and I was able to practice a little bit. And, and I just kind of was like, all right, well, let's go have some fun. I really, I got in as like a late sponsors pick and, and, um, actually ended up getting in on my number. And I just was like, yeah, who cares? Let's just go, let's go have some fun. And we, you know, we had already opened up a little, uh, insurance brokerage. So it was kind of like, I just got my life, my insurance license. And I was just like, you know what? I'm kind of done. Like I love golf, but you know, 22 years of tour life is, it's, it's hard. And, and I just, I didn't want to be the dad that was like, Hey dad, thanks for stopping by. And you know, I got a 14 year old and a 10 year old. And it was like, it's time to, uh, it's time to shift gears here. And, and, uh, you know, I just went out and I was like, yeah, let's go have some fun. Let's go see. And, you know, I got a great pairing. In fact, she played with Retief Goosen, who I was paired with in the 05 Open. And, and um, we just had a good time, you know. And all of a sudden, things started to go well. I started to hit some good shots and started to make a few putts. And the next thing I know, I'm standing there on the final, ten, final tee on Saturday and Sunday with Charles Howell and Cameron Champ. And I walk up on the first... I woke up on the first tee and I smashed driver up the first tee and I'm like, all right, let's see what kids, let's see what this kid's got. This Cameron champ kid, he walks up and hits iron and flies my driver. And I look back at my caddy and I go, that's the last shot I'll watch him hit today. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed. Haven't they? Times have changed. Oh yeah. man. Father time is undefeated. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's uh that's pretty crazy. So, so you talked about the insurance business and you even have uh Maybe you weren't going to be a musician, but I know you have a love of music and uh, particularly karaoke. I, I know maybe I don't know if you're uh, you get into that much, but but for all our listeners out there, Jason Gore has one of the smoothest voices ever. He's just he's just, you know, he could be I'm surprised. Have you tried out for American Idol or any of those, uh, you know, <laughs> for, for, for all your listeners, Steve's a he's a terrible liar he's a <laughs> compulsive liar i no man i that ship has sailed i just that was fun that was you know that was good but i just i never really enjoyed doing it like i'd much rather stand in the back and play guitar okay all right guitar so guitar is your thing guitar is my thing i mean i'm not very good but i if you walk into my house i've collected guitars since college basically so i've got like 23 of them you walk in you you think like slash live there and i'm like i'm like the guy but i'm like the the 12 handicap who buys the clubs that thinks they're going to make them better without practicing. <laughs> That's me. You know, I got the Marshall amps and the, the football, the pedal board and all the guitars. And you'd think like, Oh my gosh, this guy must be really good. Yeah. Then you hear me play and it's not very good. That must've been a, a heck of a, uh, a heck of a move. We're going to, we're going to shift gears now and talk about your current role. Really? You, you moved yourself and your whole family all the way across the country from LA to Far Hills, New Jersey now. And that must have been a heck of a uh, move with all of those guitars and all the, the, the padding in the box just for the, the protection for those guitars. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, I got all these clubs and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't care what, you can break them all. Just don't mess with the guitars. Those, are, But, you know, we had, it's amazing, like, especially when you live, you know, you're still living in the same place you grew up. And, you know, we had, I had, we had three storage units I never even realized. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden we had to go through all this stuff and and just start chucking stuff that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't I don't need this anymore. I don't need I don't need my you know my tape you know my cassette player that uh, my Walkman that hasn't worked in 40 years. It's in storage, you know, but just stuff like that. So it was kind of interesting to go through some old artifacts and stuff like that. But I'll tell you what, 
We love it here in New Jersey. It's great. It's um, we haven't had winter here yet, so we moved out in late <laughs> yeah, June, early July. Yeah, let's have that talking about February, and uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be coming down to see you and we're. Winston Salem, or, <laughs> yeah, or we'll be yeah. meeting in Florida or something like that. As long as they still make airplanes, I can get the heck out of here when it's snowing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Hey, honey, I've got a few extra trips scheduled in January and February. I'm going to be, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be away. Yeah, well, the good, the good news is for you, I guess. You know, your wife and your family knows you as this tour professional, and so you know, if you're gone, you know, ten weeks a year or a little bit more, like it's 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 still less than what you were. So it's still a uh, it's still a win, but uh, let, let's yeah. talk about uh, your new role now as in the USGA as the Senior Director of Player Relations. How has the transition gone? Talk about your role and what, what exactly is the Senior Director of Player Relations? What do you do? Well, I, the good news is I can't do any worse than the guy in front of me. So uh, this is a newly, <laughs> a, a newly created position, and it's just kind of been one of these roles where, you know, you and I have always had a direct you know, contact at the USGA with Jeff Hall, right? Like he was our Walker Cup manager. Right. If we ever had any questions regarding the USGA or what's going on or what, 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 what's this or what's that, we've had somebody to call. Most players don't. And, um, you know, that's, I think that's why there was some animosity towards, you know, towards the organization for a while. And, I just kind of want to come in and just, you know, humanize it a little bit. And, you know, we're not the people in this building aren't a bunch of, you know, mad scientists in lab coats just trying to wait to, you know, to penalize the next player that comes along or something like that. You know, these are these are people that genuinely love the game and they want what's best for it. And and, you know, I didn't even realize that until I came here and saw these, you know, saw these faces and saw, you know, when they talk about golf and how much they love it. and you know, I just think that uh, this organization just needs a little, you know, humanization. They just need to get out and let people know that, you know, let the players on the tour know that, you know, that, hey, we love golf, too. We're not trying to we're not trying. We're trying to do what's best. We're not trying to, you know, like make it more difficult or more confusing or trying to penalize you for, you know, doing something like, hey, man, we, we want to see we want to do what's best for the game and protect the game and. And, um, you know, hold up our end of the responsibility. And, you know, we run 16 national championships. Right. You know, it's like we do the, you know, handicap system. We do turf grass research and, you know, just trying to trying to find out how to make this game go on and on and be as great as it has been since day one. You're right. I, I think I mean, I'm a I'm a huge USGA proponent. I, I've loved the USGA all since back, you know, to our amateur days. And they run the classiest events. I think that, yeah, a lot of people think that the USGA is a bunch of blue blazers or people in lab coats or however you want to put it. They're definitely not that. I think they've done leaps and bounds, really, in the last several years of with all the new rules and everything, really, to to help speed up play. And you know, there's 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 a lot of thought, and and frankly, there's a lot of time that goes into. I mean, the people, the general public, probably just thinks that the rules, they, oh, they just kind of willy nilly figured it out, and okay, maybe a half a year, a year went by, and okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this. I mean, it's a it's a multi-year, you know, what, four or five years at least in the making to to create. And it's a kind of a slow-moving ship, isn't it? It is. And, you know, they, they're trying to – it's actually more like 10 or 11 years. Excuse me, yeah. They just, <laughs> they, they just want to get it – they just want to get it right. They want to get it right for everybody to make it more enjoyable 
and you know, just to, to keep it fair and to keep it keep it right. I mean, we're rolling out a whole new well, we say we by the USGA had nothing to do with it, but you know, a whole new world handicap system next year that's gonna make the same handicap system across the world and it's it's gonna make it's gonna make games better for international play and you know, like the right now the Australian I'm just using them as an example, handicap system's different than ours. So, you know, along with the RNA that you know, we're rolling out this new handicap system that's gonna make it easier, better, fairer, or more fair, I should say. Fair is not a word. Um <laughs> To, to everybody playing so it just it's kind of one of those things that you know it's like i think what a lot of people don't realize is that you know what if the usga doesn't do it who's not who's going to do it who's going to run the, the the u.s senior women's open and you know and and why do we do it because we should and you know they you know u.s senior women need to play for a national championship or you know a world champion whatever you want to call it and so that's just one of those things you know it's like the walker cup you know, like cost the USGA a lot of money, but you know what? It means the world to us yeah. as players and the fans and, you know, and it's like they, they do, they do what's right when it comes to the game. And I mean, granted, I'm standing inside their, their walls right now, but no, I, I, the, door, I, I, the I would, door's closed. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, I would agree. And I, I think they've been, they've been quick to, uh, you know, if something maybe quite, wasn't quite right with the, with a certain ruling, they were quick actually this year to, uh, or I say you guys were quick to uh, adapt. Uh, you know, maybe it was how the caddy player relationship was as they, you know, the, the player moved into the golf ball and, and there was a, there was some, uh, there, there's a lot of communication going back and forth now, which, which is great. And, I, and, the, and that communication really is visible. You know, I, I saw you, I was fortunate enough to play in the Wells Fargo this year at Quail Hollow. I saw you and Robbie Zalznick out there and, you know, how, how many PGA Tour events and events really did you go to to, you know, try to help bridge the gap between the players and the pros and and really skip spreading the word? Well, from the moment I was hired, I went to every tour event leading up to the Open and was at the Open for two weeks. And then I probably went to five or six after the Open just to, you know, to make sure that any questions and it kind of got to the point where it was like, yeah, we know you did a good job. You know, we know you guys did a great job. All right, enough already. I'm like, can you have any complaints? Like anything? Like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's a certain point between like being visible and being annoying. <laughs> and right, you know, I, I think what a lot of people, like, you know, in this building too, as as tour players, you know, you don't once the wheels leave on Sunday night, wheels up on Sunday night, you're on to the next week. You know, they're not thinking about the U.S. Open. And that's the one thing we didn't like. I never really was guilty. You know, I was guilty of as a player that you just thought that the stuff was there. You played. And when you left, the stuff was gone. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how many people like blood, sweat and tears for 365 days. Worry about little stuff to make that one week happen for everybody. And that's right. And make it a seamless experience. And and uh, yeah, having you. And, 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 you know, the rest of your team there at events and, you know, that's, that's great. And I think, you know, there's, there was, you know, over the course of the year, there was, you know, certain, certain pros, uh, you know, had some, had some beef and they, you know, they shelled it out on Twitter, which is the easy cop out, right? And to see the players face to face and to, uh, to do that, that's, that's really good, really good stuff. The one thing I want them to do is to hit send on my phone number before they hit send on a tweet. You know, it's like 
that's the we can listen. Anything that that you have an issue with, we can resolve. You might be right, you might be wrong, but like, hey, like, let's talk about it. Let's figure this out. Let's let's do this like you know, sophisticated people, and and we'll just uh, you know, not saying that Twitter's not sophisticated. Don't get me wrong, but like, we can we can we know each other well enough that we can. We can hash this out and make it happen. We talked a little earlier about the distance that you hit the ball and and how things have changed and you know you being one of the longest hitters when you came out and what what is your thought really on the current distance of the, that the players hit the ball? Do you think driver heads are too big? Is there anything along those lines that that you would like to see or or that maybe kind of coming or you could give us a peek behind the curtains or? I, I would love to give you a peek behind the curtains, but I. Don't know where the curtain is. Like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking at the building. I'm looking at right now out my window at the USGA Research and Test Center, and that it's a separate building, and they have their own little universe over there, and they they don't share much. So I would love to give you an insight on what's you know. I do know that there's a report coming out. And it's just a report coming out. You know, later this year, and and um, that's all I know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's public knowledge, but um, yeah, yeah, that's all right. You know, so, so, like, honestly, I don't know. We we had a meeting yesterday with Steve Guintavala from from the test center, but it was about something for our player relations stuff, and we kind of semi started talking about it, and he's just like, you know what, I, I can't tell you. I'm like, oh man, come on, like, <laughs> come on, I want to know. Like, I won't tell anybody, but I just want to know. And yeah. nope, nothing. It was it was crickets, and so. Um, right, I'm we, super interested. Yeah, we, uh, we will. Wait. We will all wait and see, but. Uh... Uh, and we're almost done here, so I want to just uh, get your idea here. Maybe give our Silver Club listeners a lesson. All of our, our listeners out there, they, uh, they're trying to get better at their game. We're all trying to improve our games. I don't care what level you're at. Uh, you having won seven times on what's now known as the Corn Ferry Tour, once on the PGA Tour, you know, you've gotten it done on Sundays many, many times. But like we mentioned earlier, there's, there's other times on Sundays when – you didn't quite get the job done. What is your, in your mind? What is the difference between the players who win and those who don't? That's a great question. Um, hmm. Execution. I mean, obviously, yeah, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into more of that. But it's about belief. It's about it's about staying in the moment. It's about not getting ahead of yourself and worrying about outcome. I, I think it's about staying in the moment understanding that the most important shot you're ever going to hit is the one you're standing over right now. You can't worry about the tee shot on 14 that you don't like and you haven't hit the fairway yet this week. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's staying focused on what you're doing right now, not getting ahead of yourself. You know, it's so cliche and boring, but it's such the one shot at a time thing. Is is there a trick that you do to to maintain that focus? I remember in a in an interview you said something when you won the eighty four lumber that you used a uh, a Jedi mind trick of sorts. Uh, <laughs> that, that you, you know, you look calm on the outside, but on the inside you were you were churning, but you you had things going in the right order. What is what's a what's what's a trick that that some of our listeners can can use maybe. The trick is is practice. I hate to say it. I you know I, I hate to be like physical that practice or mental practice. All of it. You know, it's like I always go back to this one. I worked with this guy named Preston Waddington, who was a psychologist. He really wasn't a sports psychologist. He was more like a psychotherapist guy, right? And so he goes, "Do you know who Fred Astaire is?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not that young. And 
And he goes, so Fred Astaire had a dance studio. And he goes, he would put chalk down on the floor and where his dance moves were going to be, right? And he'd, he'd dance till his, till his feet were sore and, you know, he's drenched in sweat. And he goes, but once he grabbed Ginger and the music started, he just danced. He didn't think about the chalk on the floor. He wasn't, you know, you know, he just danced. He just did his thing. And so, you know, there's a time and a place to put chalk on the floor and dance. But there's also a time to just go out and listen to music and, and really just do it. And that's kind of what I did. I just got out there trusting that I put the work in and trusting that, you know, like, like, like I said to you before, like I had been there and you just believe in it. And, you know, whatever, whatever comes about, you're ready. You're, you're, you know, you're bobbing and weaving the whole day, but you're just, you're just ready to go dance. So for you, the pra yeah. the practice led to that confidence. That's, that's and really, that's really good. And it's not, you know, it's not standing on the range for 15 hours a day and beating balls. It's just, you know, going out and playing and, and just, you know, just being there. And like, even through life, you know, you just kind of like, you kind of take everything in, you know, be, be aware of everything that's going on and not miss, not miss any corners. You know, you can certainly handle things a lot easier if you, you know, if you're fully aware of your surroundings and everything that's going on and, and that's kind of the way it was, you know, you just never just, you know, how many times have you laid up into the rough with a whatever shot? You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, dude, it's a, it's a seven iron. I'm in the middle of the fairway. I'm just going to lay up. And the next thing you know, you, you, you know, you, you, you fan it right into the, in the rough. And you're like, dude, what was I just doing right there? Like, you know, you're completely out of, Correct. out of the situation. You know, you just like, I'm just going to aim it at the fairway. It's like, you know, it's like, standing up on a tight golf course. And I promise you, you'll hit better drive standing on a tight golf course than you will standing in a, in a cow pasture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're just focused. You're focused on the situation. You're, you got, you got all the, you got all the confounds out and around you and you're taking them all in. You're like, all right, I got it. It's like, you know, it's when you know you're nervous and you know what you do when you're nervous, guess what? You can, you can recognize them, let them go and go. You'd be like, all right, I know I hit my seven iron. 15 yards farther when I get nervous. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to hit eight, you know, just stuff like that. It's just, you know, it's stuff like you've been there. You just, you know how you react and, and what you do. And then you just, you, you make the correct decisions. Correct. Well, talk about correct decisions. And here's my final question for today, May 17th, 2024, a little less than five years from now, you're going to turn the magic ripe age of five, zero 50. Do you see yourself dusting off the clubs maybe and giving the PGA Tour champions a run? Not right now, I don't. But a lot of things can change. I mean, you know, I'm already panicked that winter's coming here. And I've seen snow three times in my life and twice I had to get on an airplane to see it. So, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to play golf this afternoon. I'm going to play golf tomorrow. So I don't know. Like I love the game. I didn't, I didn't really love the travel and everything about the tour. I love the people out there. I love everything about it, but you know, it's like, I don't know. Uh, our daughter will be 15 by then. And I, I'm not, and I really love being here. And, you know, like I, like I said, when in my job interview here, they're like, well, why are you here? And I said, you know, I, from the moment I picked up a club, all I ever wanted to do was when I walked away from the game or, you know, when my time on earth was done, I wanted them to look back at me and say, that guy made a difference. And I couldn't really do it with my clubs. I may have done it for like five to seven seconds. Let's just say I made a difference in the game. But I feel like being inside these build inside this building with these people, I can actually make a difference in the game. And 
you know, and I, I kind of feel like it's already starting to happen. And, and I just, I love being here. I love being around these, these people in this building. And, and, um, so right now, no, I, I don't, I don't see it, but you know, a lot can change. They might, they may want me. They'll be like, dude, can you get out of here? Go, go play somewhere. <laughs> Please, well, no, just, just go. Well, that's, that, that is really well said. And you're right. You know, you put family first. And I think that that's a, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, a hugely tough juggling act to do when you're playing professional golf or any, any sport for that matter. And, uh, yeah, you, your, your priorities are absolutely in order. And, and, uh, you know, I know you said you're, you're extremely happy that you're, uh, part of the USGA. And I know I am and the, the, the rest of the world is as well. And, and, uh, being a part of that great organization and also really happy that you spent time with us today on our Silver Club podcast, Jason Gore. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, it's always an honor and it's always great to talk to you, my friend. 